no greater topic than love, right? There's no greater thing than love. There's no greater power. Um, and we're doing a, this is the third part of a third part series on love. And uh, quite frankly, if you're living your Christian life in a three-part series on love, that's pretty shallow. <laughs> I hope that you dedicate your entire life to growing in this love of Christ. Um, the church has become known for a lot of things. Love, sadly enough, is often not one of them. And so I pray that we would begin to change the branding of our church and the branding of the church in this city that people would know us and mark us as people of love. Uh, that would be our new branding. If I could rebrand the church, I would brand it in the love of God and that his people would be known that. Like when we go out to restaurants and they know it's church people, they would think, wow, these people are going to love me. Whenever we meet people on the street, they think, wow, I can't wait to interact with those people because they're just so full of love. That's how we want to be branded. And that's what this series is all about. Um, let me start with prayer. Uh, I always feel like I need to start there. And we're going to dive into this awesome, awesome, awesome subject of the love of God. Lord, I first of all just ask you to help me. Because I feel very inadequate to really try to express the depth of your love. And Lord, I pray today everyone would receive from you a fresh understanding and a refilling of what your love is all about. It would absolutely wreck us and leave us undone and changed so that others might come to know this great love of God. So Lord, help us here today to hear from you and to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as I began to prepare, you know, I quickly was thinking of, okay, loving outward. And I was thinking of, right off the bat in my mind, I was thinking about talking to us about how we love the world and how we can demonstrate that and those kinds of things. And then I just felt like God tugging on my heart and saying, have you checked your heart lately? Have you, have you wept lately really for the lost? And I began to realize and God began to show me like, your heart's beginning to grow a little hard. Your heart's beginning to grow a little cold. And that is just an oxymoron for a believer. We cannot grow cold in love. If we grow cold in love, if we go dry in love, then we really cease to be the people that we're called to be. And so God began to just change me and humble me. And I, I cried many tears. I, I repented of some things to my wife and to my kids and to my family and to others. And just wanting my heart to become fully soft. And part of that was just learning to grieve. Many of you have suffered great loss. Loss of family, loss of relationships, all kinds of losses, all kinds of pains. And we need to learn to grieve so that our hearts don't become hard. I don't want anyone's heart to be cold and to be dry in your faith. If you're dry in your faith, then that is going to speak volumes about the God that we serve. And so we just can't, we can't tolerate that in the sense that we got to be praying for each other. we got to be asking for help. We've got to learn to love each other enough that we're not in that place of dryness. Okay, and that's what tonight I want to talk to us about. When Jesus demonstrates his love, 
It's so easy for us to cheapen it. I even think when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes there to pray. And again, it's an amazing thing to think that God himself took on human flesh, and in this moment in the garden, before he's going to be crucified, he's beginning to feel the weight of the pain of the world. That's what he came to do, to experience and to take on the pain and the hurt of the world and take it into himself. And the scriptures, oftentimes, your, many of our, your versions would say, he then knelt in prayer. And I always think that's such a cheapening of what's going on there. He didn't like, in some kind of non-emotional, just kind of kneel before the Father and talk real high and lofty. No, he collapsed. The word really describes he's collapsed before the Father. He kneels before the Father as he's feeling the weight of the pain of the world of what we have been through and what we have experienced. And he's coming to deliver us. And how freely he poured himself out in that moment. How, how abundantly he received that pain into himself to experience the depths of what we go through. How can we believe in a Savior like that and then walk out the door and measure it out to others in such a measured and cold way, in such a dry way, making sure that we protect ourselves enough, at least we love too much, and we become hurt. We're so afraid of the pain because we're so dry. But when you're full of the love like Jesus was, then he was willing to accept the pain of everyone. He was willing to take on their insults. He was willing for his own friends to deny him. He was willing to go through it all and then cry out, Father, forgive them. Because I'm dying for them today. And that's the kind of love that he's calling us into. Everybody's pretty aware of John 3.16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. What we need to come more acquainted with is John, 1 John 3.16. Does anybody know 1 John 3.16? We know love in that he gave his life for us. And therefore, we ought to lay down our lives one to another. That's what it is to have outward love. To learn to receive that love in such a deep portion that we would be willing to take on the pain, the insults, whatever the world and whatever other people dish out, take it into ourselves and weep and cry that God would come and heal us, heal our relationships and heal our land. I want to talk about Paul as well. Here's a man who was absolutely transformed by the love of God in a way that I don't know many of us really grasp. And so I'm going to go a little bit through his bio, and then I'm going to go to Ephesians where he prays this prayer that I think really demonstrates what this love is all about. you got to understand that Paul was originally Saul, right? And he was persecuting Christians. He wasn't randomly persecuting Christians. What he was doing was primarily going after the Gentile and the Hellenistic Christians because he saw them as corrupting his nation, Israel. He saw them as coming into the temple and not observing the, the laws of Moses, and he saw this as a danger to the thing that he loved. You see, Saul grew up from childhood, and twice a day he would pray this prayer. Every Pharisee prayed this prayer. Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one. 
And we are to love the Lord our God with all of our soul and with all of our might and with all of our strength. He prayed that out twice a day. He was no hypocrite. He was zealous for his God and for his nation and for his church, if you will. But in the meantime, he saw that 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 needed protected and he was willing to persecute and imprison and sometimes even kill other people for it. He thought he was living out that prayer. The great Shema, that prayer, was not just a prayer to the Israelites. It was this declaration of allegiance. In fact, most of the martyrs, when they were martyred and crucified by the Romans, they hoped that their last words would be that prayer. As they're being crucified, as they're being martyred, they would cry out, Hero Israel! It was an allegiance cry. My allegiance is to my God and to my people, and I will love it until I die. And Paul prayed that diligently all the time. But he still did not know the love of Christ. And so on that day, that faithful day on the road to Damascus, that morning he had knelt in prayer and prayed that pray to love. And then on his way to persecute these Gentile Christians, these people that were not a part of his nation, but were somehow trying to take it from him, he met Jesus. And the light shone, and he became blind, and he said, Lord, who are you? Now, no, you got to get this. Jesus' response is, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Do you understand the revelation there? In other words, I am the true Lord in whom you just prayed to this morning to love. And you're persecuting me when you're persecuting these Gentiles. You see, I have opened the door to love every nation now. I am inviting everyone to come to me, and you think that that love only holds to Israel. But I am telling you, when you go after these Gentiles, these outsiders, these people who are not like you, you're going after me. And that kind of love. See, it's not just an emotional love. It was a love that changed the way he believed about love. It reformed what love was and the magnitude of the power of that love and how the gates now had been wide open to everyone, your enemies included. This is the love of Christ that turns Saul to Paul. He then grows in this for many years. And you got to understand that what they write, they first lived. They experienced. Paul had been beaten. Think about that. The ones he was trying to kill, he now is being beat up on their behalf. He's now being imprisoned because of his love for them. Now when he prayed that prayer, it looked totally different. And that's the kind of thing that has to transfer and change in our hearts. We, have, we cannot see people just as people. We have to see people as being Jesus himself. When you see the stranger, when you see your neighbor, when you see your wife, you need to see Jesus. And until you get that revelation deep in your heart, you'll never be able to love people the way God is calling you to love people. Think about how you would love him. Think about how tender. Think about how patient. Think about how kind you would be. 
And we so easily start measuring out our love and we start tallying up who, who should get it and who shouldn't. Who are the Gentiles and who are the Jews? Rather than realizing we've come to a Savior that has opened the door up to anyone and everyone, no matter who they are, no matter what their background, and no matter how they treat us. We are now to love them. Paul, in Acts chapter 20, he had started this church in Ephesus. And he knew that this was his last visit. And he had been with them and prayed with them many times. And I just want to read it to you. I want you to grasp his heart. Listen to this heart. These are Gentile believers now whom he persecuted. And now look and listen to his heart. He called that the elders would meet him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day that I came to Asia, he's remembering back when he first met them. In what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me by uh, the plotting of the Jews against me, because now they were persecuting him like he had persecuted them. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance towards God and faith toward the Lord Jesus. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city I go, chains and tribulations await me. He was willing to bleed for them. Jesus was willing to bleed for you. How can we not bleed for one another? How can we not forgive one another? How can we not see when there are divisions and problems and arguments that we don't get on our knees and bleed for the body of Christ? We are marked by love now. We have been marked by love. How can we not walk in it? How can we not live in it? How can we not put it on display lavishly and with abundance of joy unless we've allowed our hearts to grow cold, our hearts to grow dry? And then it's like we can't. And some of you are there. It's like you can't even get yourself to get there. And that's why I'm not even going to call us to go. I'm going to call you to say, spend some more time on your knees praying that prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord my God, He is the one I am devoted to. He is the one in whom I love. I want my, all my desires to be for Him. Make that so again, Father. Renew me and make me a clean heart within. Paul then, two years later, after he has that farewell with the Ephesian elders. And at the end of that passage, if you read it, it says he once again knelt down in prayer with them and they begin to weep together. That's the place where we become one. That's the place where we begin to grow in our love for each other, when we begin to learn to weep together in prayer as we experience the love of God and through the Spirit together when we're able to pray over one another and see each other be healed and see each other be restored, but we're too busy for that. We're too shallow for that. We don't want to go that deep. We don't want to expose that many pains, but that's what he's calling us to. 
to bleed for each other, to love one another. And so Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians. He starts it off with, I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord. You, you, you get what he's doing? You remember a few years ago all the times we knelt together and we prayed and we experienced the love of God together and for one another? I can't see you now because I'm in prison in Rome and I can't touch you and you can't touch me and yeah, I long for you. And so when I'm writing the letter, I'm reminding them, I'm kneeling even right now with you as I'm writing this letter. The perfect father of every father, meaning every other nation, every other family and child in heaven and on earth. You see, his love had been redefined it was no longer me and mine. It was me and the world. I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. I now own it and I will bleed for it. That's the kind of love of Christ that he's calling us to. I pray that he would unveil within you. Get that. He's got to unveil it within you if you're ever going to go out and share it. Don't ever go out and share it until you've allowed Tim to reveal it within you that this person I'm talking to that's yelling at me, that's mistreating me, is Jesus himself, and I'm going to bleed for them. And I'm going to love them in all, with all my heart because as I grow in that kind of love, I will come to know the love of the Father in a deeper way. I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory. In other words, the true essence of God is found here, and it is rich. And favor until the supernatural strength floods your most innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. There is no greater power than God's love. When you really encounter the love, you are energized and you are empowered and now you are a force to be reckoned with. Not of pride and not of self, but of humility and of devotion. And he's praying for them. I'm telling you, you experienced it with me and now I continue to pray that you'll, you'll drink of it again and again and again. Then by constantly using your faith, Constantly stepping out, constantly being vulnerable, constantly risking, constantly obeying, constantly following in the ways of Jesus. By doing that, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. It won't just be words being prayed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And we will love him with all of our heart, all of our desires, all of our imaginations, all of our dreams, all of our resources, all of our time, all of our energy. It won't be a prayer anymore. It'll be a walk of life. And when it becomes the walk of life, then the world will see and then the world will know. But if we can't even love each other, how can we demonstrate that to the world? I'm asking you to repent. I'm asking you to think about what you've said behind closed doors. 
You know of broken relationships even within this building. People maybe you've known for a long time, but you know there's a wedge. You know there's a separation. You know there's some reconciliation that needs to happen. And if not here, maybe other believers in other churches that you left. Because the love growed cold. And so you had to leave. We've got to get past ourselves. You don't come to church because you like the church. You come to church to serve and to bleed for the church. So that when you see people that are discouraged, when you see people that are bitter, you're there to encourage, you're there to strengthen, you're there to pray with them and kneel with them and say, let's pray this prayer again of love of God and love of neighbor. Let's not just talk about it, let's demonstrate it one to another. Then, you'll be, then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experience, every saint, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is His love. He's praying this for these people that He once persecuted. How enduring and how inclusive is it? He learned that love. It changed him from Saul to Paul. Why was he willing to go into a city and take a beating and they drug him out and left him for dead? And when he revived, he got right back up and went back into the city. What kind of love drives a person to do that? How shallow have we become? How dry have we become? So self-preservation have we become. Well, they didn't love me. You've not been called for others to love you. You've been called to go love them, regardless of how they treat you. We're always waiting to receive, receive, receive. And in taking that position, we never receive from the Father. But if we'll go to the Father and we'll get a revelation, see, Paul, that's what he says to them. I got a revelation of this. And that changed me forever because I now saw the love of Christ for what it was. Paul didn't need a revelation to get the information. He got brought up into the very presence of Christ so he could experience that love. So he could embody that love so that when he became the proclaimer of the gospel to the Gentiles, they too would experience the depth and the width and the height of the love of Christ. But we have become so shallow with each other and with God. And we must go deeper. We must humble ourselves. We must begin to fast. When's the last time you fasted for this love of Christ? To know the love of Christ for the Father and Christ and to know it for each other. When's the, or do you just argue about it? Do you just complain about it? Do you just critique it? When do you get on your knees and cry out with tears until God moves and love is restored? That's what he's calling us to. This is what happens when we do that. He says, this extravagant love pours in, into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. If you want the fullness of God, then you've got to be willing to go to the depths. 
And that's not going to happen in a three-part sermon series. That's got to become your life's pursuit. I'm going to skip to chapter 4. Because I want you to see this. As a prisoner of the Lord now, after he's prayed that prayer for them, I plead with you to walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank. In other words, you've been called to this. Given to you as your divine calling with tender humility and quiet patience. Always demonstrate gentleness and generous love toward one another, especially towards those who may try your patience. You see, in the first chapter of Ephesians, he talked about that they would receive, he prayed that they would receive a revelation to know Christ. Here he's praying that they would come to know Christ in a way that would cause them to love one another deeply. How wide. See, he's giving architectural descriptions. How high, how wide, how long, and how deep is this love of Christ? What is he, why is he describing it in that manner? He's describing the temple. And he's knowing that you are that temple. And when you press into this kind of love in the Spirit for each other, then you're going to come to know this mystery of the love of Christ. And when we get a hold of that at a deep level, not at a shallow level, then the world is going to see. We're always given, oh, well, there's a program for evangelism, or there's, a, there's this to, in order to do outreach, or we do this in order to show love, or whatever. I'm telling you that if we embody this love, you won't be able to keep it back. People at work will know it. People at home will know it. Your wife, your husband will know it. And when they know it, everyone will begin to know it. How much time have you spent pursuing to know this kind of love? Honestly. How many tears have you shed recently for others that it's not just your own family? People at work that bug you. Your neighbor that does stuff to you. People in here that may have done stuff to you. When's the last time you fasted and you prayed and you cried out, Lord, give me your love. Teach me your love in a way that truly demonstrates Christ's love. That's the kind of love that he's praying for. That's the kind of love that he was bowing to and crying out for. And he had experienced it with them over and over and over again so that it says in Acts that when he left them they begin to bitterly weep as he departed. And literally the description is they kind of had to he kind of had to pull them off of him in order to get away. These gentile Christians were clinging to the Jew. The man who had persecuted them, now they loved him so deeply and so dearly. And let me tell you, how many pastors have that kind of rapport and relationship with people? You see, it goes all the way around, from the least to the greatest. When will we bleed for one another? When will we long to get together again and pray for each other and work through pain and work through issues and bear one another's burdens until we are set free and filled up to fullness of God? 
When we do that, we will fulfill what God has called us to. And he promises that when we fulfill that, the world will come to know. Our love will go outward in all kinds of ways, and we won't need to program it. It will be unleashed, and no one will be able to stop it. That's the kind of love that he's calling us to. Is that the kind of love you've experienced of late? Are you dry? Are you measuring out your love? Are you measuring out your time and your relationships in such a calculated and rational way? Or are you ready to unleash it freely and openly and say, you can hurt me if you want, but I'm going to love you in return. I'm going to gather together with other believers. I'm going to get together with those I know there's a little bit of a wall between us. And I'm going to make sure there's no wall. I'm going to do the hard work of really growing in love for each other. This is, this is what I'm calling us to. Search your hearts now. Search your minds now. Look at your lives. When's the last time you bled for him? When's the last time you wept for somebody you barely knew? When's the last time you wept for the church to be one? Because your heart is so broken. Because when you go to Jesus and he pours out his love in you, you can feel his pain for his people. And when you feel that pain, you've got to do something about it. He says, let those of you who are filled with the Spirit or spiritual, go and bring restoration to those that have fallen those that have grown bitter, those that have turned to the left or to the right. Only those who are filled with the Spirit, who are truly spiritual, you're the ones to go. Not the ones that are ready to point the finger, but the ones who are looking to restore them, he says, in a spirit of meekness and humility. And that's what fasting does for us. I'm calling you to fasting as well, because you can't get there without it, I don't believe. You've got to be broken further than you've currently been broken. And fasting helps you to feel pain and to feel hungry and to feel unsatisfied until you see the kingdom come, until you receive this greater portion of love and so can love others as Christ has loved you. Are you ready for that kind of love? Are you ready for that kind of sacrifice? Because that's what he told Paul, you remember, right? In fact, he told the other guy, he's like, he doesn't even know all the things he's going to have to suffer for my namesake. If he's going to be the one to make my love known to the Gentiles, then he's going to have to suffer like I suffered. He's going to have to feel the pain of hardship and of broken hearts like I did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to have to learn to kneel like I kneeled. And so he's inviting us into that same joy of sorrow. It's both joyous and it's both sorrowful. It's this tension and it's called the love of Christ. Father, we need you. We need this kind of love. It is deep, it is wide, and it is beautiful. It is powerful. It can heal the brokenhearted. It can restore those who seem to be lost. It can bring friends and families back together. We need a rebranding of the church, Jesus. Let our brand be love of God and love of neighbor so that all might come into knowing this kind of love.
what would happen in the world? What would happen in the church? What would happen in your home if this love ruled and reigned? Lord, that's what we call for. Let your love be the ruling factor in our lives. And we ask it today, God. Let it be real and let it be deep in all of us today. In Jesus' name, amen.